What's up, my friends? Welcome to Challenging Conversation with Jason Jimenez. This is a podcast where we talk about challenging issues, controversial issues, and help you, the believer, know what you believe and why you believe it. So we're so thankful that you guys are tuning in to this episode as I have a great friend and guest who is going to be on the show talking about abortion. For example, what does it mean to be pro-life? What does it mean as a Christian to defend and to support and be a voice to the pre-born in that mother's womb? So looking forward to having that discussion. But before I introduce Scott Klusendorf, I want to remind all of you guys, this episode is brought to you by Edify. You can go to edify.app where you can download our app and you can get all of this amazing content, not just challenging conversations, but also sermons and other podcasts, podcasts from my friend Billy Hallowell and Lucas Miles and other people. There's amazing shows out there, you guys. So please take advantage of that. And so I so appreciate the opportunity that Christian Post is giving me now to be able to provide a new show on their platform so we can be having challenging conversations, given the fact that we live in a cancel culture where our freedoms are being infringed upon by not just the government, but also by institutions and big tech. And one of the key issues that we're finding is that we have a system in place that's advancing pro-abortion views. And we're seeing Planned Parenthood clinics and other venues out there that are lying to the public that they're providing health care to women when in fact what they're doing is they are aborting lives in the womb. So with that being said, I want to welcome my dear friend, Scott Klusendorf. Welcome to the show, Scott. Jason, good to be with you and glad to have you back. Yeah. And I was just telling Scott, you guys, before the show that I had come down with a bad case of COVID and uh, it's just, it was a tough time, but I appreciate people like Scott and the body of believers coming to my aid and praying for me and my wife and many great doctors. And I just want to give a shout out to any doctors listening right now or nurses or anybody in the medical field, thank you guys for what you do. I mean, like Scott and I, our job as pastors and apologists is to go out there to equip uh, the church, to help families, to educate people, right? And, you know, and to help people, you know, know the dangers of certain uh, worldviews, right? They're like a virus. And you guys are out there helping save lives. And so I'm one of them. If it wasn't for uh, certain doctors who, who stepped into uh, my life at the right time, I don't know where I would have been. So I'm so, so grateful for that. So Scott, obviously um, you, before I show people this one new uh, program that you've put together, you, how long you've been doing pro-life apologetics? 31 years. 31 years. That's yeah, why you're so that old. That's old why, man. yeah, so that's why you're so old looking, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm hardly viable today. I'm hardly viable. Hey, one thing, what, before we're done. I, I think that I got to warn the, the, our audience first that, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of puns between the two of us. And so if people don't know what puns are, can you explain people a pun, Scott? Oh, a, a double meaning. And, um, you know, you, you can get all kinds of them going, but uh, you, they will emerge naturally yeah. on this show. Yeah, that we have a tendency to do that. And also just to let uh, everyone watching or listening know that Scott and I are also colleagues together at Summit Ministries, where we are faculty members at. And I by far am, am way more popular and people love my classes way more than yours. Isn't that, isn't that right? Wouldn't you agree with that, Scott? 
Well, generally, speakers who have no content are liked in the immediate short haul more than the ones who deliver substantial content. Yes. Yeah. No, we we always go back and forth, though. But Scott definitely is one of the beloved guys there and does an amazing job teaching. Not just what are some of the courses, not just on how to defend the pro-life position, but what are other classes, by the way? So people that are out there, they can go to summit.org. And what, what are some of the courses you provide during our summer sessions? Well, not only pro-life apologetics, Jason, but bioethics in general. For example, assisted reproductive technologies at the beginning of life. What are the dangers of treating children as commodities that we construct for parental fulfillment rather than gifts we joyously receive in and of themselves? And then end-of-life issues. When is it okay to withhold or withdraw treatment from a dying patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, issues of infertility. These are big questions our churches are not dealing with. And when I run a survey of the students at Summit, and I say, how many of you before coming to Summit had a presentation in your church that taught you how to argue for the pro-life view persuasively yet artfully with people who don't share your worldview? And how many of you mm-hmm. have had any instruction at all on bioethical issues like end of life and reproductive technologies. I mean, the number of hands that go up are usually single digit. Uh, This is scary stuff, Jason. And the great thing about Summit is it trains students to think biblically while the secular culture increases its critiques of the biblical worldview. So we're equipping these kids, and you're doing this as well, to think persuasively and biblically. Then the other topic I cover is moral relativism, the whole idea that right and wrong are up to us rather than there being some objective standard we should get in in line with. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I know we'll talk about it later, but just since we're on the topic, and so people understand, and you and I are actually one time uh, when I was out there seeing you in Atlanta, where, you know, it, it is sometimes discouraging when you think about how little churches are willing to talk about the issues surrounding the preborn, right? Yeah. A colleague of mine put it real well. He said that our churches, many of them have become so seeker friendly, their believer worthless. And what he means by yeah. that is we have not equipped our own people to fight the good fight. And that's something churches must do. Look, how we view human life impacts the gospel. For example, There's basically two worldviews out there as pertains to human value. Either you believe each and every human being has intrinsic value and an equal right to life, or you don't. If you don't, the reason you dispute the claim is you believe that we only increase in value as our functional abilities grow and that the real you is nothing to do with your body, only to do with your thought life. And therefore, until you have thoughts, until you have memories, or later at the end of life, when you no longer have them, you don't even exist. Now, Jason, think about what that means for the gospel. If I perish or I cease to exist when my memories and my thoughts cease to exist, Why do I care about the good news of the gospel? When I cease to have memories, I just cease to be. That's the end of it. But the biblical worldview says, no, I have intrinsic value because I bear the image of my maker. And therefore, it's not contingent on my functional abilities, on my thought abilities. And if that's true, I have an eternal existence. And now the gospel means something to me. So how we view philosophical anthropology, meaning the study of human value, has a direct impact 
on our receptivity to the gospel. And I think a lot of pastors overlook this. Yeah. And I think too, just so we could throw it out there, we could, we'll pick it up later is even the distinction you see a lot of people are very cunning in how they say there's a difference between a fetus, a human being, and then a person. And then the whole issue of viability. And I've even heard a lot of Christians who get sucked into some of that kind of stuff and say this, this period of time for an abortion is okay because of the issues of viability. So I definitely think we, you know, we'll tackle that on this, on this. And by the way, just to let people know, this will be a, a part one, part two, where we're going to kind of lay out the groundwork of what's happening in our culture, deal with some things regarding Roe v. Wade. Um, also dealing with some of the issues with our current president, Biden, who is supposedly a devout Catholic, but clearly undermines the Catholic's position when it comes to what Scott just talked about, uh, you know, human life and the intrinsic value that comes made in the image of God, where he, of course, denies it and gives a right to a woman to have an abortion and then partakes of Eucharist. These are some major topics, Scott, I think that we have to hit hard because in cancel culture, people don't want to talk about it because they think, oh, you're being too harsh. You're judging people. You have no right to do that. You don't know what you're talking about. The evidence doesn't support what you're suggesting. So you guys just wait because these two episodes, we're going to be helping you guys because to Scott's point, and this is true, and he and I travel a great deal around the country, and you're having a lot of churches who are becoming more progressive. And I just read an article, Scott, recently of how women silently who are pregnant, okay, maybe out of wedlock, a lot of them, will then go to an abortion clinic because that they believe, they know it's morally wrong, but they think they have no all other alternative or they're too afraid to ask for help. And a lot of times the churches are silent on those issues. So we want to help you guys not only engage on these topics, but also how you can confront some of these people who say they're pro-choice or they support abortion. Now, before we do that, I actually want to show you guys a, uh, a, um, a new online course. Scott, why don't you tell people about this new online course that you're doing with uh, our good buddy, Frank Turek? Well, Cross-Examined is graciously hosting my course, The Ethics of Abortion. It's 10 weeks, and if you sign up for the premium course, which you can do uh, on the link that you'll see on the screen, you will actually have an opportunity to not only take in 10 lectures, but you get seven Zoom calls with me. And here's what you're going to walk away with doing this course. Number one, you're going to know how to make a case for the pro-life view for those that simply have no clue what's really at stake. And you'll learn how to make that case in a minute or less. Secondly, you'll be equipped to engage the toughest critics of the pro-life view. Look, it doesn't do us any good to take on the weak arguments. We need to go for the strong ones against our own position. So we're going to take a deep dive into people like Peter Singer, Michael Tooley, mm -hmm. David Boonin, and to some degree, Jeff McMahon. And the reason is this, we want to know if the pro-life position can compete in the marketplace of ideas. And if you are convinced it can, you'll be confident as a Christian witness speaking up for the lives of the unborn. So that's what we're going to do in the course. That's awesome, man. I, I so appreciate you finally being able to put that thing together um, because it is so needed. And so I encourage you guys again to make sure you guys check that out. And you can even, what's your main website for people to go to, by the way, Scott? Uh, ProLifeTraining.com, all one word, no dashes, ProLifeTraining.com. And the, and the online course is also there referenced, right? Or is it just on the Christian online courses? 
I would go at this point to Frank Turek's cross-examine site to okay. click on the courses link there. Uh, we're having a little bit of difficulty with our site at the moment, adding new links. So we're trying to resolve that. We'll get it fixed. But the safest place right now, go to Frank Turek's cross-examine. Okay. So I want to start by just asking the simple question because I get asked this a lot sometimes. And I think that sometimes we're, we assume when we're in a quote evangelical Christian audience, right? Uh, when we say we're pro-life, what does that actually mean? So kind of for our audience, yeah. what does that mean to be pro-life? Yeah, that's a very important question, question, because right now we're in a situation where somebody has literally switched the tags. I don't know if you've ever been traveling in the airline, switched your bag with someone else's and you end up with a bag that's not your own and the tag is different. That's happened to me before. In fact, I now know what Delta stands for. <laughs> don't expect luggage to arrive. But the idea being here is that yeah. The name pro-life, the term pro-life is being redefined not only by our critics who are adamantly pro-abortion, but a lot of Christians are buying into the premises of the secular worldview on mm. what it means to be pro-life. Here is the classic definition of what it means to be pro-life. You oppose the intentional killing of an innocent human being in the womb. In fact, pro-lifers present a very clear syllogism for their position. Premise one. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Premise two, abortion intentionally kills innocent human beings. Conclusion, therefore, abortion is wrong. Now, what's happened is we now have critics, Jason, who are saying, no, to be pro-life, you can't just oppose abortion. You have to take on a whole bunch of other, quote, life issues. For example, to be legitimately pro-life, you have to take on the protection and housing of refugees. You have to take on immigrants. You have to take on poverty. You have to take on gun violence. You have to take on equitable, equitable pay in, in the workforce. You have to take on eradicating poverty in the inner city. And the list goes on and on. Now, this is a very unfair attack. And typically, Jason, what pro-lifers do is they buy the premise. They say, oh, well, we do care about women after birth. And, oh, we do provide other services. Wrong answer. Punch right. back by attacking the premise of the attack. And what I like to do is say, could you clear something up for me? How does it follow that because I oppose the intentional killing of an innocent human being in the womb, I am therefore responsible to fix everything wrong with society? I mean, would you attack the American Cancer Society because it only treats one disease and not many? Would anybody in their right mind say to that group, well, what are you doing about heart attacks? What are you doing about lupus? What are you doing about Crohn's disease and diabetes? No, they would never do that. Or if we had a Christian daycare center operating in downtown Charlotte that provided a couple of hours of relief for inner city moms by taking care of their kids after school so moms can get home and get dinner started, no one would go to that Christian ministry and say, well, how come you're not caring for kids 24-7? How come you're not doing anything to reduce inner city violence. And what are you doing for older kids? I mean, nobody would do that. But pro-lifers get saddled with this all the time and we should not put up with it. Yeah. We, and I think that's a good point because I, and I say the same thing and I'm glad you're saying it too, Scott, and people listening and watching, you need to be saying these things to people as being a pro-lifer, not falling prey, because again, it's another tactic. And again, I think that the, the analogy applies in both categories, even though these are different subjects, but they can kind of lean both ways. But when you bring up critical race, 
um, the issues regarding that. Or if you're a conservative versus a liberal, right? And the liberal just says, well, you're just a racist, right? They just attack. It's an ad hominem, right? I think in a way that argument of saying you have to be for all life, otherwise you're not pro-life. I think that is a, that's an, that's a weak argument, but it's a way to try to deflect what abortion really is. Well, it really is, Jason, and here's why. Suppose pro-lifers did everything our opponents demand of us. We take on every issue under the sun. Yep. Will they stop being pro-abortion? No, yep. they're going to continue to defend abortion. So this is one gigantic red herring. So, okay, when we think about being pro-life, and it's, it's again, it's, a, it's an, a, not just an immediate response, but a conviction and a love to be a voice to defend the, the helpless, right? And you and I have many organizations do a beautiful, wonderful job. Uh, you know, I support Love Life and they're doing a great job being out there and being advocates to the church and getting mentor couples to even adopt. They're adopting a lot of these babies that were going to be aborted. Their life would have been over. But, but, but God intervenes and brings a great couple. And we're hearing, Scott, stories about this all the time. And, and I wish more, and that's one thing I love about the Avenue of Love Life is they're going into churches and showing people videos or testimonies or having somebody come on stage and saying, this is the baby that was going to be aborted, but we adopted this baby. Or, or now you have these stories of saying my, you know, it was a botched abortion and I survived and look at me today, you know, a beautiful person made in the image of God. Those are compelling, not just cases, but we need to reinforce because abortion is right now. And this is the other thing too, Scott, don't you think when somebody says, well, you should be helping the homeless, a lot of these other people are homeless or like you mentioned has Crohn's disease or even people that have prostate cancer or breast cancer. Yeah, we have treatments out there, but we recognize that it's a threat. And then if we don't intervene, they might possibly die. No one's saying that about abortion, that it's the actual killing of an innocent human being. So I think, don't we have to bring it up that way as well? Well, what we need to do is principally establish two core truths to be legitimately pro-life. Number one, we need to establish the truth of the humanity of the unborn. But that is not enough because right. merely focusing on the humanity of the unborn will not sway people who are more terrified of a crisis pregnancy than they are terrified of abortion. So we also have to focus on the inhumanity of abortion. And this is where the proper use of visuals depicting abortion uh, can be very helpful because those pictures change how people feel about abortion. In a, a postmodern culture like ours, as you know, Jason, oftentimes we have to change how people feel about an issue as a predicate to changing how they ultimately think and behave on the issue. And when it comes to abortion, reawakening moral intuitions in people so they no longer see abortion as a mere preference issue like choosing chocolate ice cream over vanilla, but rather they see it for what it is, the intentional killing of an innocent human being, levels the playing field and allows us to talk about abortion against its metaphysical reality, the dismembering and butchering of an innocent human being. And we have got to be willing to expose that reality uh, for what it is. So obviously the show's Challenging Conversations, and I've written a book on Challenging Conversations. And one of the topics that I covered in the book is on abortion, which you graciously helped. Uh, basically, you ghost wrote it for me, right? And I don't think I paid you for that, but I'll, I'll do that. I'll pay you later. But 
dealing well, with. You know, I had enough red ink that it didn't matter. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, you know, dealing with a lot of these things. So, so obviously I'm going to bring something up, what you just mentioned to help people watching and listening to uh, how they can have a challenging conversation on just one of the things you mentioned before we start talking about the culture in general, about where we're at percentage wise, if you will. And again, I know I'm not stat driven guy, you know, where you just bought, you know, your hook, line, sinker on a Pew Research kind of data, if you will. But I think it is important to kind of evaluate because sociologically, we can kind of learn a thing or two about behavior and through behavior, some of the belief systems, et cetera. And it kind of explains, you know, maybe why we're having some of the problems that we're having uh, in a certain zip code or, you know, in a certain setting or state. So we'll touch that in a minute, but let's go back to something you had said, because I think this is a conversation that a lot of us need to have more. And I'm going to set it up by uh, presenting you a scenario but these are real life situations. As you know, my wife and I spent probably five, six years. I sat on the board of a, a pro-life uh, group that was sending people who were sidewalk counselors who were outside the clinics pleading respectfully, you know, for that, that mother, expected mother or that husband or that relative or that friend who drove them there, right? You can't step on the property. That's trespassing. So we have a little space where you're trying to get their attention to come over to you. And again, the first thing is to let them know that Jesus loves you, but also to try to see if they would, Hey, you want to go get an ultrasound? It's free. We got some refreshments. You know what I mean? Just try to love on them. Well, there are a lot of Christians, as you know, Scott, they will say, even in a digitized world that we live in, they'll come down to the abortion mill or they'll meet someone like you doing a presentation at a church, or even when I've taught on abortion issues. And sometimes, of course, with the permission of the leadership of the church, hey, I'm going to show a video. It's pretty graphic. We will give people a heads up so that we're not just slamming it down their throat. You and I have a friend, you know, in Atlanta that we're doing some videos recently. And, and it, you know, he was talking about how he was doing something on abortion. And it, and it was, it was pretty, pretty in your face, but he did it, I think, in a very biblical, uh, you know, pastoral way. But there are a lot of Christians who will say, oh, yeah, I'm totally pro-life. They believe everything you just said about the definition of what a pro-life person is. Yep, that's me. Seen in scripture, made in the image of God, in terms of value. I'm with you. Uh, abortion is intentional, an intentional killing of an innocent human being. But when I go to the abortion mill, I think it is offensive to have graphic pictures that depict some of the procedures of how a unborn baby is uh, aborted. What say you to that? Because they're, you know, you well, got people who say they're good. You got people who say they're not good. Yeah, it depends where you're using them. Look, at the right. final stop at the clinic, the most important message that woman needs to hear from pro-lifers is, we will help you. Uh, that should be the final message she hears. Because she's going to have to overcome a mountain of fear to accept our bargain of 18 years of hardship when Planned Parenthood is ready to solve her problem in an 18-minute procedure. So she needs to know that we're there to help her. But there are other ways we can show these images where it's not the final stop. My friend Eric Scheidler in Chicago, I think, does this very well. They do a lot of sidewalk counseling, but they don't display the abortion images at the clinic. Here's where they do it. They do it a mile up the road yeah. on the approach to the clinic. And then when the girl gets to the actual clinic, the final message she gets is, we will help you. I think that's genius. Yeah. Uh, there is 
a place for the images. We need to use them. We need to use them responsibly, but there is a place for using them. And I'm with you. I'm not convinced at the door of the clinic is the most effective spot. Yeah. And I, and I, I think it's important to bring it up because I want people to know watching and listening that listen, that's not a hill to die on because you have some radical people, you know, a lot of people from the operation rescue team, you know, that I've been around, that you've been around for many years, love them to death, but it's just, it's a different approach. And we're not saying that in order to be effective in trying to convey a gracious message, a gospel message, and Hey, we're here to help you that you have to have outside the abortion clinic these type of images in a way to say, this is what is about to be done to your son or daughter. Um, I, I, I'm well, with you. There is something though we always need to keep in our minds, Jason. What is actually worse? A woman seeing an abortion or her going through and actually having one? That's exactly. So while we want to be prudent in where we display our pictures, we should never let our fear of offense stop us from displaying the truth. It's a necessary element of what we do. Yeah, because through the years, a lot of people have said to us, um, that is offensive. They're already hurting. They're already disturbed. And quite frankly, Scott, through the years, I've talked to a lot of people outside the abortion clinic. The issue is not whether or not that's a human being. That's a person that resides within their womb. The question for them is, can I take care of this kid? And they believe they can't. And so anything. Well, that- I'm going to push back just a little bit on that, if you don't mind. No, go ahead. Um, I don't believe people who tell me they know the unborn are human, but they have to be killed anyway because of personal life circumstances. The same people who tell us that about their fetus would never tell us that about their toddler. In other words, they don't really believe the unborn are human with a right to life the way they believe their toddler is a human with a right to life. And so when they tell us this, I don't really believe them. I don't think we have won the debate with those people over the humanity of the unborn or the inhumanity of abortion. Rather, what's happening here is their worldview steeped in relativism is basically telling them that they can intentionally kill an innocent human being for personal reasons. Uh, I mean, this is scary stuff. A colleague of mine puts it well. He says, ours is the first generation of human beings that having demanded the right to kill our children through abortion is now demanding the right to kill our parents through doctor-assisted suicide. Why? all because of personal circumstances. In fact, it leads to something Kate Michaelman, the former uh, head of NARAL, National Abortion Rights Action League, once said. She says the vast majority of abortions uh, are performed on people who are against it, except in cases of rape and their own personal circumstances. And I think she's spot on. People relativize and they don't think clearly. So I don't believe them when they tell us that they agree with us that the unborn are human. See, and I, I, and I, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm going to give an example because I think we're kind of saying the same things and this is important. One is I get the moral relativism position of where a lot of people are. I mean, obviously, unfortunately, abortion is very rampant in, in our American culture, I think for that very reason. And this yeah. is, this is one situation. Again, I'm not just using one situation to extrapolate that this is the case for most people that go to an abortion clinic, but I had a father point to two two young kids in his car and say to protect them we're going to get rid of this child 
We don't know this child yet. See, what I'm saying is they do identify. That's why they're there. They know it's wrong. But notice, notice what happened there. Notice he did not put the child in the womb on equal right. moral footing exactly. with the ones in the car. Yep. In other words, he doesn't agree with us that the two are equal. Right. He doesn't agree yeah. with us that both have equal value. So I asked him, so let's press this further because this will be helpful. So I asked him, I said, why isn't that the case? Because that child, when his zygote you know, is carrying, again, half of your DNA chromosomes, like from your mom's, from your wife's standpoint, just like those beautiful, precious little kids in your car. And his whole thing is we don't personally, we've not interacted personally with this child yet, this unborn baby. So until we do, we feel like we got to get it over with sooner than later. That, that well, was his- interesting. Yeah, that was yeah, but, what but an what interesting I, argument. I know, but and we know it's not an argument, but it's an emotional one. But it's also not just more relativism, Scott. What we have found, and you know this, and this is the sickening nature of, of us human beings. Okay, this is how evil we can be. The guy's admitting that to keep them fed, I will sacrifice this child that we don't know yet. We would like to know this child, but we can't afford this child. So I'm going to sacrifice this unborn baby for the sake of the children that we now have, right? And I think it's not just moral relativism in that thinking, but that shows you the utter selfishness of, of some of the depravity that is that, that you, that you, that, I mean, I'm looking at this man and I said, how can you as a father, not, I wasn't judging him. I wasn't putting him down. I wasn't yelling at him. I said, how can you make that decision as a father when your job is to love the children that God has given you? He didn't say anything. And his answer was? It was nothing. He just said, we've made, yeah. this, we've made this decision. And I said, have you consulted with anybody before you came here? And he said, I don't need to get anyone's opinion about my life and my family. And he, yeah. walk, and he walked away. Well, and unfortunately, they, they never came out again. Um, but I, but I, I say that Scott, because I think what it did for me, and this was several years ago, it actually opened my mind to say, I'm not out here again, doing pro-life apologetics in a sense of convincing them, you know, that this is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. I, I have seen at these abortion clinics, California, uh, New York, uh, you know, Texas, North Carolina, Arizona that there are people who are selfish. They, they don't want to be a mother. They don't want to be a father. They don't want a third kid. And, and, and because they know that that's a human being. Now, like you said, they're, they're not putting an equal value, but see that even that they're grading, right? They're, they're, well, here's the thing. If you had asked that father, Hey, listen, you just told me a minute ago that we can kill this human fetus of yours because you haven't interacted with him. Suppose you had a child that you didn't know existed that was two years old and it had been shut up in a closet for two years and you had never interacted with this little guy or little girl. Would it be okay to intentionally kill that child because you haven't interacted with him? The guy's going to tell you, no, it's not okay to kill him. So again, we're coming back to, he doesn't believe the pro-life argument that each and every human being has equal value and has an equal right to life. He's mouthing. Yeah approval of our view, but he doesn't really believe it. All right. So I appreciate that. I think that that is a good insight because these can, these things can be a little bit, they're not as cut and dry sometimes. Right. And we got to, we got to go further in because 
you can get a lot of them who yell at you or a lot of them who will cry and a lot of them who are very emotional. And what we want you guys to know, listening and watching, we are not saying that when you're dealing with abortion issues, especially somebody who's post-abortive, right? And we have a lot of them in the church, Scott. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. Yeah. You know, there you have to be sensitive to where they're coming from. Obviously, we do not believe that abortion is the answer. Um, so with that being said, let me ask you one question that I want to go into the uh, Biden situation and before we close the podcast out. This is a huge conversation within the church, okay? Among Christians. Can you be pro-life and yet support a woman aborting their baby because of incest or, in, and or rape? Well, two types of people, Jason, are going to bring up rape or incest. Uh, crusaders and inquirers. And we need to be clear on who we're talking to. Um, an inquirer has heard the pro-life argument. She's buying it. She's actually following your moral logic and she's buying in, but she has a psychological block thinking about her 14-year-old cousin, maybe named Abigail. If she were to get raped, imagining that telling her she's got to bring a child into the world that will forever remind her of the harm she suffered. And that inquirer looks at that situation and responds emotionally, even though she's buying the moral logic of our view. We're going to treat her one way. The crusader, right. however, has no interest in a logical discussion. He's bringing up rape to make you look bad. We're going to treat him a different way. So let's talk about the inquirer first. I'm going to start by showing empathy. And I think a lot of pro-lifers make a mistake here. The issue of rape gets brought up and they immediately punt to statistics. Why most women who get raped don't get pregnant. Wrong answer. You were just told about a woman who was sexually assaulted. Your first response should be empathy. So I'm going to look at that inquirer and I'm going to say, you know what? You're absolutely right. That woman who has been assaulted sexually has suffered a grave injustice. And you're also right, and this will tick off some pro-lifers, that every time she looks at her child, it's possible it will provoke painful memories. You're right about that. Given we agree on that, how do you think mm -hmm. a civil society should treat innocent human beings that remind us of a painful event? Is it okay to intentionally kill them so we can feel better? For example, if I have a two-year-old in front of me and his father was a rapist, and every time the mother looks at the child, she remembers what the father did to her. Would it be okay to intentionally kill the two-year-old to relieve the mother of the painful memories? And of course, everybody says no. And of course, the question is, well, why not? Well, because he's a human being. Ah, if the unborn are human, like that toddler, should we intentionally kill them in the name of hardship any more than we'd kill a toddler? Now, some critics might say, well, that's not the same thing. The unborn aren't human. The toddler is. Ah, you may be right about that, but I need you to argue for that, not merely assume it. Now, the, the crusader, again, he's a different animal. I'm going to call his bluff. I'm going to say, okay, for the sake of argument, I'm going to grant that we allow abortion in cases of rape. It's not my position, but for the sake of argument, here goes. Will you now join me in opposing all other abortions that have nothing to do with rape? And he's immediately going to say, no, women have a fundamental right to an abortion. Well, if it's a fundamental right, Jason, you cannot infringe on it for any reason. It must be legal for any reason or no reason through all nine months of pregnancy, no questions asked. If that's your true position, Mr. Crusader, 
why don't you argue for that rather than hiding behind rape victims? In other words, I'm going to call them out. How many, how many, when you look in the church world and your travels and stuff, how many think are uh, those two groups? Uh, how many crusaders, if you will, do you think are out there in the evangelical church? I would say most are in the inquiry, inquiry. Uh, camp. They just haven't thought about it with deep moral reasoning. They've would you, would just you kind would, of gone with their emotions. I, I never thought of this, and, you know, but since you brought up, you, you, how many of the politicians do you think that are conservative politicians in the, within the Republican Party, maybe even of them are professing Christians? Um, and let's be clear, just, you, you know, there are pro-lifers who are not Christian, right? But if they're up there, you know, uh, speaking or looking to pass a, uh, you know, a bill and hopefully get it uh, legislated in regards to something regarding abortion. And they say, I'm pro-life except for cases of, cause you've heard a lot of them on the floor of the house say this, I'm, I'm pro-life, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we got to protect these unborn babies only in cases of rape and incest. Do I support a woman to have an abortion and go use those services? I mean, are you saying those are inquire kind of politicians? Are they truly pro-life? Can we say they're truly pro-life? Should we be voting for them? Should we not be voting for them? Well, they are uh, pro-lifers with a broken moral compass at a minimum. Uh, look, there's two ways to think about incremental pro-life legislation. In other right. words, legislation that limits the evil of abortion, but doesn't ban it outright. There's the compromiser who's the incrementalist. He wants there to be exceptions in the law. He wants it enshrined in law that abortion should be legal in cases of rape and incest and maybe the health or life of the mother, who knows. But he picks out a stopping point where he wants abortion enshrined in law and permissible in those cases. But there are other pro-lifers who are principled pro-lifers who, in other words, are uh, abolitionist in principle, they want all abortion abolished, but they are incrementalist in practice, the way that Wilberforce was, the way that Lincoln was. In other words, the principled incrementalist says, listen, I am committed to protecting all children, but what happens when I don't have the votes to do that? Well, instead of protecting none of them, I will work to limit the evil done insofar as possible, given current political realities. And I will go ahead and save as many children as I can, and I'll keep coming back for more. I'm never quitting until we protect all of them. Uh, that's a principled incremental stance where the first guy I talked to, he's a compromiser. Yeah, he's a compromiser. And the other thing, too, I think to encourage people in their incremental way is think about how we apply that same reasoning to other things, right? A teacher doesn't have all the funding to teach their kids effectively. Do you just throw it out and say, I'm not going to teach anymore until I got the funds, our military? I mean, so we, 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 I think, again, going back to our, our discussion earlier, we expect so much, you know, the left is saying you got to be pro-life and everything to support every aspect of life in order to be truly pro-life. Don't buy into that. And the same thing applies here. Scott, that we have to remind Christians is, uh, you know, because I'm supporting, you know, some legislation incrementally may not, again, like we're, we've seen back and forth. Is it going to be, you, you want it to be 15 weeks rather than 20 weeks or no weeks. You just want abortion to be banned. And that would be great if we can save more lives, but some legislation that, that reduces the level or the amount of abortions state by state is a slight 
win. It may not be victory entirely, but we live in a fallen world on this side of heaven. We have to continue to fight these battles and not give up. And I think sometimes, by the way, Scott, and I say this in all due respect to just Christians like us in general, I, I, we can get so short-sighted or we could become so judgmental or get so upset. You know, you and I have talked even about the never Trumper friends of ours and how people can just, you know, if it's not completely 100% this on my list and they have chapter and verse in the Bible, I ain't voting for that person. Hey, that's your conviction. That's fine. But oftentimes the reasoning or the expectations are outrageous. It's nearly impossible, right? Uh, well, if you're a Christian and you have a chance to limit evil and you don't do it, I think you're compromising morally. Uh, the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass yeah. made the observation that politics is the art of the possible. And we, always, we, we don't always have the ability to end evil outright, but we always have a responsibility before God to limit the evil that's in front of us that we have the power to limit. And when we don't do that, we're living in disobedience. Yeah, and scripture very clearly, people can look at Colossians 3, you can look at Romans 12, you can look at Romans 6. Bible teaches us how we are to live in accordance, like Galatians 5, in the fruit. And of course, you know, Colossians 3 tells us, you know, because the old man has been put off, because you've literally been saved, and Ephesians 2 says that you've been saved from trespasses and sins, to put off the old man, the coarse joking, the sexual, you know, impurity, the idolatry, the adultery, things like that. And so I think oftentimes we're judging people based on us preventing evil rather than the good that we are doing. So I think people have to be careful with that as well. Hey, Scott, as we close, one last thing I think that we should touch on is what's up with this whole thing with uh, President Biden? If you're a devout Catholic, number one, as we know, and it's very clear, and I want you to speak on it, you know, speak to it, you know, Catholics in their doctrine, I mean, you're pro-life. And if you have Biden, who's a devout member, not a Catholic, he is a devout Catholic. I call him a progressive yeah. Catholic. I did a video a while ago. He's a progressive right. Catholic, not a devout Catholic, but that's for another time, another podcast. But what say you, because I know a lot of our listeners right now are wondering, yeah, I mean, should him, should he continue to participate in mass and confession and participating in, in having a priest or a bishop or a cardinal or even the Pope himself give him communion, give him Eucharist? No, he shouldn't. And here's why. Biden is endorsing what the Catholic Church calls an intrinsic evil. And our Catholic friends, Jason, make mm -hmm. a very helpful distinction when it comes to evil. They draw a distinction between contingent evils that may be wrong depending on context, things like war, capital punishment, for example, uh, and intrinsic evils that are wrong on the face of it and must always be opposed. And the reason why Biden gets a pass by liberal Catholics is those Catholics have forgotten that important distinction in their own church doctrine. They think that because Biden is right on all these other contingent evils, while the Republicans are wrong on those contingent evils, we can overlook his intrinsic evil. But that won't fly according to Catholic Church catechism. Intrinsic evils trump, pardon the pun, uh, contingent ones. 
And if you've got somebody who says, look, I'm against war, I'm against capital punishment, I'm for poverty relief, so I'm really the pro-life candidate. Uh, No, you're not, because abortion in Catholic Church teaching is a contingent evil, or excuse me, is an intrinsic evil, not a contingent one. And Biden is trying to get a pass by claiming he's pro-life on the contingent side, when in reality, he's not pro-life on the intrinsic side. So he should be removed from communion. He should be removed for communion. Obviously, he shouldn't be banned from being a Catholic attending the church, obviously, right? Because you still believe in in grace that's being taught, you know, to some extent in Catholic theology. But I think that that is something that people need to be talking more about instead of this past. Like you said, I think that's a great way to understand in Christian in the Catholic doctrine, this intrinsic evil versus contingent evil. And the social justice warriors out there get so fixated on the contingency of issues, right? And those those matters yeah. that they overlook purposely see these are tactics this is way this is a way again to deflect what is actually going on and and i'm telling and i'm telling you guys and that's why we 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 need more critical thinking scott in the church Mm -hmm. we need to train people in logic and philosophy those are good things jesus was a philosopher paul knew philosophy i mean i've done a whole huge study uh, when I was studying philosophy for my major and I used Jesus and Paul and to understand the type of philosophy they understood in their day. And of course, there's many great philosophers that that have inspired us. And one of my favorite is St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, who, again, is a saint in the Catholic Church. I mean, the guy was a theologian philosopher. He was a stud. And yet he died before he even turned 50. And he still has the most exhaustive theological summa theologica than anyone on the face of the planet. And the sad reality when it comes to issues like abortion, it's not just saying, hey, I'm pro-life, I stand with the pre-born. What we're going to do now, you guys, in the next episode, so thank you guys for tuning in and watching this one. If you want to reach out and send me an email, you can do so at info at stanstrawministries.org. But in the second episode, Scott and I are going to start breaking down not just what is a pro-lifer, like we just did in this episode, what does it mean to be pro-life? He's going to start laying out the case for being pro-life to how you can defend that position to people who say, hey, you know, the Roe v. Wade, they have a constitutional right. Who am I to say that they should not have that constitutional right? Or because Roe v. Wade was passed, um, therefore, abortion is morally acceptable in our culture as though like it's an objective truth and and that it's a good thing so we're going to be tackling those kind of things but before we do i just also want to mention again go to is it christian online yeah christian online courses.org and you guys can check out that new series and again there's two different types of of courses you can take a more in-depth one or or a less expensive one um, and of course, that one I would recommend because you see less of Scott in the in the in, in the premium. Well, one I would recommend the lesser course for you, Jason, because I don't think you're up to the premium level. <laughs> yeah, make sure that you have a, like a an ABC you one for take me. An incremental approach to your intellect. You got to have an ABC. Yeah, you got to have an ABC one for me, an elementary one for me. I appreciate that if you could do something special for me. But thank you, Scott, for uh, coming on the show and just helping Christians out there understand how uh, to be pro-life and some of these issues. So thank you guys for watching. Until until next time, keep standing strong, my friends.